John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Uh, today my guest is Nettie Freshour. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? <clears throat> doing pretty good. Um, so this is your uh, first time joining us. Um, let's let's do the, the usual uh, get to know you thing and um, uh, tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing now and then kind of how you got there. Okay, currently I'm serving as the director of the Dietetic Internship, which is a postgraduate internship that all students are required to go to, go through um, if they plan to be a registered dietitian. I'm also a teaching associate professor, um, and so I have a handful of classes that I instruct um, throughout the um, Human Nutrition and Foods Department. Cool. I became... Uh, and I came into this role about two years ago. Um, they were looking for a new director for the dietetic internship program. And I had been a preceptor for about 15 years um, in this program. So um, as well as an adjunct instructor for equally as long. Um, while prior to this role, I was in the WVU athletic department. I was the director of sports nutrition for about five years. Um, and again, I, I had just always been involved in human nutrition and foods, and so they asked me to come over and stay here full time. Very cool. <clears throat> and uh, kind of, how did you um, how did you get that role? Like, uh, you went to college, of course, and um, how how did all that occur? Which role? I'm sorry. Uh, you know, just working for WVU and all that, and becoming a uh, nutritionist, a dietitian for the athletic department. So I, I was a student here um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I had always been very interested in sports nutrition. I'd been an athlete myself. I had been interested in how um, eating better and eating well and strategically could improve performance. So when I was an undergrad, I volunteered with the athletic department in many different roles, specifically just trying to give team talks and trying to help students feel their body appropriately and um, stayed here for grad school, continued to do the same thing. And then when I received my first professional role here as an assistant director in the WVU Dining Services, I served as a consultant for the athletic department um, in a role slightly greater than what I was as a volunteer student. Um, and then as years passed and NCAA programs across the country were starting to hire full-time sports dietitians, WVU followed suit in 2014. They offered me a full-time position. <clears throat> Very cool. So as uh, with your background and then working with um, athletes and stuff mm -hmm. and, and general population, what are some of the, uh, like, the common problems that you've seen with um, people in general, athletes and normal people, um, that they're, they're just kind of not doing right, like things that you could fix immediately? That's a great question, and, and it's an easy one for me because I think that too many times people feel that there's a um, immediate fix or jump start or something special that they have been missing out on. Um, and nine times out of ten, people just need to eat and eat for their own personal self. That it's not a one-size-fits-all, that everybody's individual, and therefore we have individual needs. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen in my time in practice is that, again, too many people want 
a cookie cutter pattern or they want something to jumpstart either their muscle growth or their weight loss, fat loss. Um, but it just, it's, it's just hard work and it's about sticking to what you need and doing that day in and day out. One of the common questions that I would ask rhetorical questions I used to ask my athletes was, you know, how often do you train? You know, you train every day to get better at your specific sport or your specific position. You can't train like that. You can't train nutritionally every once in a while and expect the same results. Right. You need to do the same thing day in and day out nutritionally that you do physically. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are your thoughts on some of the, uh, I guess you call them, maybe some, maybe some of them are more than fads, but some of the fad stuff, like the more popular ones now are like keto and then um, there's this Game Changers documentary. A lot of people are looking at um, veganism <clears throat> and all that. And um, th- those uh, are kind of, um, kind of quick fixes, I think. It's, you know, just eliminate this or eliminate that. Um, what, what are your thoughts on those sorts of things? My thoughts is it's not sustainable. That if you can't do something for the rest of your life, it's probably not something you really need to attempt. Yeah, for sure. Because if your lifestyle as yeah, if your lifestyle as an athlete is something that you want to continue on, then that's the same lifestyle that you need to have nutritionally as well too. And so, cutting out an entire food group, or um, you know, if, if, you, if an individual wants to become vegan, I think that that's more power to them as long as they're doing it in a healthy way and that they're still meeting their nutritional needs, then that's fine. But doing it just for the mere fact of everyone else is doing it, it's probably not in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I always tell my students to be a, a smart and educated consumer. And that's the same thing as consumer of information as well, too. So what are you being fed and rhetorically and what are you buying meaning and again same rhetorically are you buying the fact that okay if i cut out carbs i'm going to lose mass or i'm going to lose weight and i'm going to gain mass you know um and it's just basically having a knowing that there's more scientific knowledge out there than just let's eliminate this today and eliminate this tomorrow yeah very cool so um when it comes to uh, these type of elimination things, um, a lot of people do it, uh, you know, because it's easy. And um, a lot of people have this uh, idea that, that it might be healthier, right? Like, like veganism might be healthier. Um, can you talk about maybe um, healthy versus sports performance? Because they're not always the same goal. They're not always the same. Um, can you can you tell us about how maybe that might interact? Like veganism might be healthier for a normal person, but is it actually better for an athlete? That's a great question and one that I think that a lot of people need to consider when they are wanting to try a different pattern or tool to increase their performance. And veganism can be healthy for anyone honest to goodness, as long as you are meeting your nutritional demands. And I think that's the problem where it becomes a potential issue is that most people don't understand how much more they need when they are active. One in particular is iron. You know, iron has been a high demand when you are using it. You don't need any more if you're not active. And it's extremely difficult to meet your needs 
on a vegan diet with iron. And so again, as long as the person that that wants to try these patterns goes into it educated or find someone who truly is educated to help them go through it and do it properly, it may be beneficial for them. Um, when you consider vegetable proteins over maybe processed meats, yes, it's going to be healthier for you. Would you need to supplement with vitamin and minerals? Probably you're going to need to do that as well too. But um, again, I think the big picture is am I meeting my caloric needs and am I meeting my micronutrient needs? And so if they can do that, then then that would be great. But again, I think sometimes there's, that's difficult to do, especially geographically as well too. I think that an individual that chooses a vegan diet in West Virginia this time of year is going to have a hard time. Because yeah. if you're truly being healthy and you're not just you know, going for all of the, again, processed soy products, right. you know, to try to be, to, to adopt that lifestyle, you know, that to me, that's just substituting one not so great for another, not so great. Mm. So, but, but to meet your needs with um, vegetables in West Virginia this time of year is extremely difficult because you're not going to get much nutrition out of them. Yeah. And I think um, <clears throat> it's already uh, hard enough, I think for a lot of, um, like strong men and powerlifters, they they you got guys weighing three four hundred pounds, um, and meeting uh, your your calories for the day at, at three or four hundred pounds is already tough with a regular diet. <clears throat> so if you're going to go um, keto or vegan or something along those lines, it becomes um, very difficult to to meet those even the calorie requirements, let alone your different macros and micros and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that can get pretty complicated. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on yes. uh, soy proteins? So it is a complete protein. So an individual that wants to practice a vegetarian or a vegan diet is getting a complete protein. And it that's one thing with protein synthesis and muscle growth that is important for them. Um there is some conflicting research with um, cancer, reoccurring breast cancer and soy proteins. Um, one of my rules of them is that if I do it in my own home, I'm not going to tell somebody else not to do it, you know. And so um, I have a tendency every once in a while to purchase that in moderation, whether it's uh, soy milk or um, I'm a fan of the Morningstar products. So every once in a while, I buy those little... Uh, buffalo chicken fingers that I think are pretty good. <laughs> um, but again, in moderation, it's not, I'd much rather would give somebody um, a different source of protein than soy. Um, I will say too, that there had always been in the past. I'm not sure if it's still um, a concern with most men now is that the pre-estrogenic compounds in soy has a tendency to develop breast tissue in men. And that's not been shown to be true. Okay. So that's not true then. No, because that's a that's a big um, that's a big worry. People uh, people still talk about that a lot, right. um, and I, I knew there was some conflicting right. information at one point. Cool, right? <clears throat> and again, it's more for individuals that have um, if if a woman particularly and men can as well too. But if a woman in particularly has um, been diagnosed with breast cancer, it is actually very much encouraged that she stays away from soy proteins. Um, and the same thing with men too. Men can definitely develop breast cancer as well. <clears throat> cool. So 
are there any um, basic guidelines that you give out to athletes uh, as far as like um, this is how many typically how many calories you'll need or this is how much protein you'll need um, those sorts of things are there any uh, systems or equations that you're using so well I'll, I'll start at the beginning with that one is I, I don't tend to give quick advice at all um, if somebody asks me like in passing if a student comes up or something that says hey how can I gain weight you know I, I start from the beginning with them because I don't want to give anybody a false sense of oh, it's just that easy, or, you know, um, she told me to do this, or she told me to cut this out. So I like to sit down with a person and understand what they're currently doing, what their height is, their weight, um, their activity level, and so I get a baseline that way. And so if I have the potential to have lean mass, so if an individual knows their body composition, to get basic needs, I use what's called the Cunningham equation because it, it – as I'm sure you know and your listeners know that lean mass is going to burn more calories than fat mass. Yeah. So if we have the ability to have the amount of lean mass that they have, then I'm going to be that much more accurate in giving them a basic day in, day out calorie requirement. And then from there, I kind of want to know what their activity is. You know, for a strength athlete, they're probably not going to be doing a ton of cardio, but they still need carbohydrates to fuel. I mean, and that's important. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people get scared of is anything in excess is going to store us fat. It's just that carbohydrates store the easiest of the three macronutrients, you know, and so the three calorie containing nutrients. So um, if, a, if a person's taking in 300 grams of protein, they're still going to store that excess as fat if they're not using it. Right. And so, um, so I like to kind of break that down for them as well too. But ultimately, I need to know... I'll even talk about family health history. If, they, if they've been diagnosed with high blood pressure or high cholesterol or, you know, a mother, father, brother, or sister, if they've been diagnosed as well as you, I don't like to turn around and give a ton of protein unless I am talking fish and lean poultry. And again, some of the things that's not going to predispose them to initiate those health-related illnesses. So I don't do a ton of quick guidelines because I... I have a tendency to be extremely um, detailed and personalized. Okay, very cool. I think that's um, that's what people need. I think there's too many of these um, quick fixes and things, and it just gets uh, it just muddies the water. And then people try to take a quick fix from one person and a quick fix from another and put them together, and the two systems don't combine. Um, I'm sure you see that a lot. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram. One of the things that like the keto crowd and, and some other people uh, talk about uh, is like insulin levels and how insulin, how, how your body's uh, production or lack of production of insulin causes um, increases in body fat and this and that. And um, some of the people that argue mm-hmm. against keto point out that... Uh, protein actually has almost the same response to insulin um, when you, when you eat that. 
can you touch on that a little bit and kind of tell us your thoughts on, on, on this insulin thing that everybody's talking about? And so there's your insulin response is basically how much in a meal you're going to consume too. So if I have a snack, my insulin response isn't going to be heated. If I have a huge meal, then it's going to be a lot more extensive than that. Um, the flip side of some of that too is that you need an insulin response to actually uptake the protein after a workout. So it can be equally a good thing as some people see it as a bad thing. Um, the more simple the meal, and that means in um, chemical structure. So if I have um, jelly beans, then my insulin response is going to be quite significant, but it's also going to fall quite significantly as well too. So it relates to hunger. It relates to food seeking behaviors. So um, I encourage people to always combine nutrients together to help that insulin response to not be as spiked and to also be more sustainable so that it doesn't plummet. Because when that plummets, that's when you get those hunger signals again. Yeah. I think. So when you have. I, th I think um, a good example of that is uh, just the, the glycemic index, right? So. They, um, yeah. they use the glycemic index and they have like all the foods individually and they have this ranking system and they say like a potato will do this or this will do that. But it, once you mix anything, like if you eat that potato with something else, it actually changes the entire. Um, yeah. So the glycemic index is really hard to use unless your every meal is literally yeah. only one food. But then as you said, it could exactly. even be different with the amount. Like if I ate. 12 potatoes at once, yeah. that would be different than one, yeah. right? Right, right. And you can, so what you're talking about when you, instead of just eating one single food and you eat it combined, that's called the glycemic load. Mm -hmm. And not only with the glycemic index, um, it doesn't change as much with an insulin response, but it also depends upon um, whether it's raw or cooked. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the glycemic index changes when you cook a, cook a food too. So yeah, to, to worry about that, um, the one thing that helps sustain that release and not make it as much of a spike is adding fat, protein, or fiber to that carbohydrate. And so that makes it not, again, peak as high, and then st it stays around as long as if you kind of think about it as a, you know, like I said, a on a chart peaking and dropping, um, that insulin response will be again, more sustainable, the more satiety that there is with you as well too. Okay. Very cool. Um, so something else I wanted to talk about was, so there, when you're talking about like, uh, micronutrients and vitamins and minerals and those things, a lot of times there are different, um, I'm going to say variations of the same one. Like, you might have like vitamin D or vitamin D3 or K and K2 and, and there are um, different variations. And sometimes, um, at least from what I've read, some of those are uh, somehow uploaded better, utilized better in the body, things like that. Um, can, you, can you talk about some of those and, um, and, and maybe better ways to, uh, to get the better version, if that's possible? So one of the big things, too, is that you have to realize that, that what is out there kind of in the public is really what you need. So when you talk about, like, K2, you know, we 
scientifically, nutritional scientists believe that everything has been identified for many, many years uh, for us to know what we need for sustained life, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so when you come up, you hear some of these other things as, well, K2, you know, I don't know where to get that. I don't know if I have been getting it. More than likely, your gut synthesizes it or it's in such a low need that you're getting it with other vitamin K type foods. So that's kind of first and foremost. But um, secondly, the best way to get nutrients is typically through fresh food. Right. Um, vitamins are not heat stable. So if you have a really great, pretty looking bunch of vegetables, <laughs> nice full of color, and then you saute them, more than likely you're going to do, um, lose a lot of the vitamins there. Minerals are very heat stable though. So they're, they're actually very stable in general. So you tend to retain the majority of minerals in anything. With both them, but specifically minerals, the amount is going to be based upon where it was grown and the amount of soil. And then also how long it took to get from root to table. And so I am very adamant that that's why I mentioned earlier to be a vegan in the state of West Virginia right now, you're not going to get a ton of nutrition. Most of your vegetables, if you get them from the grocery store, come in miles and miles and miles away. And so farmers markets in season are the best way for you to get the nutrients that your body needs because they're going to be picked probably within a couple days. Um, and then you're not going to hopefully store them too long and you're going to eat them quickly and you're going to get that nutrition. Very cool. Um, most, most research has shown that multivitamins really do lack a significant amount of nutrition. Now, is that just because, um, you know, the, the, the supplement companies that are making them just aren't putting it in or is it, uh, or does it have to do with absorption because it's kind of a concentrated dose? It has to do with a lot of that, honestly. If you see a USP symbol on it, so vitamins and minerals are regulated slightly different than nutritional supplements, but a USP, it's the United States Pharmacopeia, um, is an independent company that will analyze them for nutritional quality. But it's just that it really just overall, while what's on the label is in the pill and vice versa, it just doesn't really, like you said, it's not really absorbing the greatest. Um, and I mean, to take it once a week is probably perfectly fine. Do you need them every day? Probably not. Right. Um, but it's better to get your nutrients through food first. And do you think that applies to... Um uh, like pharmaceutical grade, like if you had a prescription for vitamins, do you think that that also applies to that? They're, they're not necessarily as good as food. If it's a pharmaceutical grade, once again, that comes under a slightly different regulation. If it's seen as a prescription, then it is actually regulated by um, the FDA. <clears throat> okay. And you, but you don't think there would be any absorption issues with um, like a, a dose like that? I the only nutrient that is absorbed better as a pill than the natural form is folic acid. That's it. Okay. Everything else will be absorbed better with food. Yes. Okay. Now, do you think it's um, 
it's important when you take a multivitamin to take it with a meal and not on an empty stomach. Um, cause I know that a lot of, uh, vitamins and minerals are, are either water soluble or fat soluble. And, um, if you, if you take it on an empty stomach, I mean, you got this giant list of things. Some of them are going to be one or the other. Um, so it would probably be better to take it with, with a meal, I would assume. Yeah, not only, so you've got all of this stuff in one pill, right? And yes, some of them are water-soluble, some of them are fat-soluble. Um, some of them negatively interact with each other, some of them positively interact with right. each other. So again, it kind of goes back to what's your major need. If you're just taking it as a checks and balance, yeah, definitely have a with food. If you are anemic, you're probably just going to want to take iron. If you right. have stress fracturing, you're probably going to want to take your calcium. You know, so again, it goes back to that individualization as to why the person's taking the nutrients to begin with and what's going to be the best end result for them. Cool. Um, so do you, uh, do you know of any examples um, where you find that uh, a nutrient from a different source is better? And not because it's maybe in more abundance in that source, but it's just a better source. Um, for example, iron. You can get iron um, from certain fruits yeah. and vegetables. But um, there's a specific type of iron that's found in meat. I believe I think it's called hema iron, um, and it it's used yeah. it's uh, it's used differently uh, in theory. Um, do you have any thoughts on that or an opinion? That was going to actually be the example I was going to give you. So yeah, um, through a lot of research, it's shown that that heme iron is absorbed a lot more efficiently than non heme iron um, that you would get in say spinach. And so it is just, again, research, evidence-based that if you eat, you know, a, a large spinach salad versus a steak, you are going to be able to absorb the iron in the steak a lot more efficiently than you are the iron in, in the spinach. Now, other than absorption, do you think that that iron um, plays a, a different role in the body, even, even if it's just a slight difference? Do you think that there... That it that it reacts or interacts in any different way. I mean, again, its composition is slightly different, and so the potential of, of more oxygen carrying capacity because of the fact that it's so much more closer to the already to the iron that's in your body. I mean, there 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 can be that that chance. Um, I haven't looked up any of the current research with all, especially with game changers coming out, you know, and it becoming again. That's kind of where a lot of research ends up getting driven is when you have, you know, a, a hot topic like this. And so I guarantee you're going to be seeing a lot more research with vegan uh, athletes and potentially this question of, you know, is the spinach iron equally effective as the steak iron in oxygen carrying capacity as well as preventing anemia and so on. I see that research kind of being something of a hot area now that this has become such a big topic right now. Yeah, I had seen, um, and I was probably in response to Game Changers, although I don't think they specifically said that. Um, there was a, and this wasn't like an official study or anything, but a guy took all the NFL players over the last like five years that had become vegan, and, and I think vegetarian, just vegetarian as well, and um there was a huge, huge, huge percentage of them um, that got injured and had to retire due to injury. And um, when comparing them to uh, 
you know, non-vegan athletes, it was like there were all these the non-vegan athletes they could get hurt, have the same injury, and come back. And um, I think this person was claiming it had a lot to do with that Hema iron, saying that the um, that the right. Hema iron has a much better, um, I guess, healing factor to it than regular ironwood. And uh, I, I just think that if if that's true and that can be proven, I think that's very important. For athletes. Yeah. I actually saw the same um, publication. And I guess my question to that is I've seen many very successful vegan and vegetarian athletes as well, too. And so I just wonder sometimes, like you said earlier, about the amount of calories that a strength athlete needs. Are these NFL players eating the amount that they need? You know, because they're considered a strength athlete. Um, and so is the is the healing power because you also need calories to heal you need calories to perform um not just protein heme protein and so again i think that every question needs answered before you start telling people not to do a vegan diet again i'm I'm very much if a person wants to do it i'm going to help them do it the the most nutritionally sound way that i can um it, it has some validity to it but again i'd like to know that those athletes were meeting their caloric needs as well. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's... Because uh, that, when you yeah. look at energy availability... Yeah, I think um, that, that that would need to be uh, looked at. And this was a very... Like I said, this wasn't a real... Um, this is more yeah. observational than anything. Uh, yeah, more I, anecdotal, yeah. Yeah, I will say I think that um, with, with the amount of... And I might be wrong. With the amount of money... And the amount of um, pressure and, and just everything in the NFL. Yep. I mean, the NFL is the biggest money sport um, in, in the world. Um, yep. I think it would be a safe to assume that a lot of them were meeting their caloric needs. Um, mm-hmm. Although, again, yep. that we're, we're just assuming. But I, I would think that that might be a safe assumption. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I do. Um, and like you said, you know, there's this was just more somebody taking a look and again a little bit more anecdotal than anything but um yeah i I agree i think that they probably have the funds and they probably have chefs or something else along those lines so and i I did think it was um interesting that uh they they actually feature a vegan strongman in the game changers documentary um and uh he actually suffered a tricep tear um, at some point, and it ended his career. So <laughs> I think they that um, oh, wow. they have a you know that's just fuel um, fuel for that argument um, because a torn tricep yeah. is uh, is a fairly common injury in um, strongman, and people come back from that all the time. So, but but every tear is also yeah. different, right? I mean, like you know, ten people could tear their tricep ten different ways, and um, obviously some are worse than the others. Right. So that could be. Um, just the type of the specific type of injury that that was right right <clears throat> so um we talked about football you said that they're pretty much um strength athletes and that's true uh football players especially in the nfl they're notoriously known for for be like they could leave football at any point and go and be pretty successful power lifters um with squatting, benching, yeah. and deadlifting, um, you know, uh, it, but obviously football has a better payday than powerlifting ever ever will, so they usually don't go that <laughs> route. Um, but but they're also then doing the football practice and training, um, 
so they're basically, in a way, playing two sports, right? There's the field aspect of it, and then this extreme weight room aspect of it. And um, their weight room aspect is probably more vigorous than that I can think of off the top of my head any, anyway, uh, any other um, field sport. Um, there's just this much more extreme, uh, hey, you got to get strong, you got to squat, you got to power clean, you got to do all this stuff. Um, when you're trying to do that much, um, how much more important is nutrition than, say, somebody that's, uh, you know, just doesn't want to die of a heart attack and, you know, wants to fit in the same clothes? Yeah, it's, you know, I think that, I think that for a long time, most people didn't realize the level of importance associated with nutrition and performance. Um, I'm working out so I can eat whatever I want versus now seeing, and and it's, it's definitely gone over to the NFL as well too, um, that seeing a sports dietitian as part of the performance package because there is so much, again, validity behind what the diet can actually do for the performance. So when you consider those squats, you consider every physiological response that's going on in those muscles during that squat, you know, and during that, a lot of vitamins and minerals are responsible and responsible for making that function occur. And the more often you do it, the more you actually need those nutrients to be able to continue to perform that at the same magnitude and then even even increasing that. So um, I think that sports performance, nutrition for, for sports performance is drastically different um, than nutrition for health and wellness. <clears throat> Very cool. Um, now, in, in uh, strength sports right now, um, and I think sports um, – Sports are funny because, like, some are way ahead of everybody else, and, and then everybody else kind of falls in line. And um, Strongman right yeah. now, um, I think there's a big uh, push for um, the people in Strongman to get uh, a nutritionist or a dietitian on board to help them out, at least on the pro level. Um, and you're seeing that a lot more now than you did uh, even uh, two, three, or five years ago. Um and then, but then yeah. there, there are there are people behind that. I think um, martial artists, um, even on the professional level, uh, they're they're just making it up. Or the big one that they're all doing, they're all doing keto and things like that. Um, in your opinion, how important yeah. is it for for a sport to to pull to the forefront? How important is it that um, they start doing that on the professional level? Like your team or each individual needs to have somebody. Um, you know, walking them through this and, and kind of uh, helping them out. I see the same thing as, as um, strength and conditioning. You know, everybody's different. You tailor a strength and conditioning program for each individual athlete based upon their goals, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, the, in my opinion, it's the same level of, of importance that you can make that athlete so much better by making sure that they're getting their needs. And that's day in and day out, as well as within each practice and with each performance. So if you consider that strength and conditioning program that you just wrote for them and that workout is burning a thousand calories, well, if you're not taking in those thousand calories in addition to your basic metabolic rate and in addition to your normal everyday walking around, 
if you're if you're say for example you're 300 calories off every single day low or high that can prevent you from gaining the mass that you need to gain or that can cause you to gain maybe fat mass instead of lean mass so again something as little as 300 calories which could be a sandwich you know can really shift it one direction or the other so one of the things that um that i run into when i train um martial artists i think that well number one there's this huge push for um cutting weight right like nobody wants to fight anybody at the same weight so they want to cut down and they do these um they do yep. these water cuts, um, and then they want to lose as much body fat leading into that water cut as possible so they don't have to cut as much water. But then the irony is if they lose yep. enough body fat, they want to cut to the next class down, so they end up cutting the same amount of water. But anyway, um, I think a lot of the time they lose sight of what the actual goal is, and the goal is to become a better martial artist or a better fighter. And But they're, they're training that way in the gym, and trying to train that way in the weight room, but their goal for the food is actually just to lose weight. And um, I don't think yeah. I don't think that that works real well. Um, when your goal is to perform better, you shouldn't have these two separate goals most of the time. Um, I think right. you should be eating for that performance, and then um, you know do do the water cut if you need to or whatever, make some slight adjustments, whatever. Um, can you talk about that? I'm sure you've seen that, uh, probably especially with wrestlers at WVU and, th- and things like that. Yep. Yep. Um, I worked pretty extensively with that crew um, to prevent this because that was a big a big push is to not do that the heavy water cuts um, because my question always to them was, where does your body store water mostly? Right. Muscles. Yeah. And that's your muscles. Yeah. Your muscles are about 75% water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what are you losing when you're doing this? Because you're using your strength. And so why sit there and train the person you want to train to turn around and lose probably close? I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, even if it's 5% of your strength when you go to compete, that's 5% lower than your competition. Um, and so... We really worked, and the, the biggest thing with that is to work as far in advance as possible. You know, it, it's not about cutting. It's about eating properly and fueling, like you said, um, fueling for those workouts and losing that weight in, actually in the workouts versus out of the workouts. Mm-hmm. Don't cut the food outside of it. Work harder in the training sessions to cut that weight strategically and physiologically proper as opposed to again just cutting water weight because again you're just taking that from your muscles and you're you're just basically losing everything that you 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 try to do but yeah i've worked with that i've worked with weight cuts a lot um it's actually one of my ironically favorite to work with because um it's a challenge and it's more of a challenge to get them to understand that if they just listen just give me a couple weeks (laughs) Yeah. And let me show them how to eat that you'll lose that weight, but you'll feel stronger and feel better um, with it. And so that aha moments of of not having to cut more than two or three pounds the night before weigh in is, is is one of the it was one of the most rewarding parts of my time in the athletic department. Cool. Um, now, one of the things that people also do when they water cut, um, they'll they'll do sodium uh, salt manipulation. And um, they'll they'll load that up and down, you know, on a kind of a similar timeline with the water to because um, the salt will hold water, so this helps flush that out, right? 
but um, the sodium is very important for muscular contraction. So can you, can you talk about how that might affect your performance, especially if you didn't, weren't able to replenish that. And it, it could be very difficult to replenish that depending on the amount of time you have. Yeah, those are, I mean, when you consider cramping, um, there's a couple of reasons why we cramp and sodium and potassium are two of those reasons, you know, and so if you, and that, and that's also related to dehydration. And then another way, another reason why you cramp is muscle glycogen depletion, you know, so, um, manipulating any of those nutrients is going to put a, an athlete at risk for, again, injury and not being able to perform at their at their max, at their 100%. And so, in my opinion, it's just as tricky and just as dangerous as water cutting is using the sodium manipulation. Yeah. Yeah, typically when any of any of my people do the water cut, um, we, we don't, I only recommend cutting, uh, and it also depends on the body weight, but no more than 10 pounds. And then, yeah. um, if, yeah. and we don't do salt loading or m- manipulation at all, we, we can eat salt the whole time because it's very important for, um, yeah. you know, your muscular action. And it's also, I, I couldn't tell you how fast you could re upload that. I have no idea. So to cut to mm-hmm. cut the salt out and then Quick. say, well, we're going to get all of it back in by this time tomorrow. I don't know that. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know yeah. that that's the case. Yeah. So I would just rather be safe than sorry. Um, and uh, yeah. that, that brings me to another point. A lot of people are using IVs, um, and there are companies that sell IV bags for uh, – this stuff and they actually the companies yeah. will set up at the bigger events and they will sell the bags there on the spot so you'll weigh in and there will be a salesman in your face like hey um what are your thoughts on using the iv bags to rehydrate do you think that the body um can uh is able to absorb that that fast is the body set up that way i mean the body usually it's done you know orally through the mouth absorbed through the gut things like that can the body even keep up with the speed with which yeah. it's shuttled in during an IV? So you're probably not going to want to perform that quickly afterwards because it's probably, it is going to be a faster rate though than what you would take in orally. Um, I just, gosh, I, I see all of that is so dangerous in general. I mean, I just, um, the, the IV is definitely going to, again, it's, it's going to be, probably a, a very efficient way to rehydrate but i mean depending upon the duration of time that you also have in between weigh-ins and performance if you have the time to take it in orally i would really recommend just doing it orally versus you know succumbing to a, a gimmick of, of a salesman in your face that that kind of blows my mind a little bit um to be able to have that as an option um and actually more so the need for that to have that as an option is even more, you know, I just kind of see the danger associated with that than anything. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, it's odd to me that, you know, it's, it's one thing if you were uh, a hurricane victim and you were in this house for days and EMTs show yeah. up and you're under medical supervision and they give you an IV. Right. Um, but in these situations, yeah. it's like anybody it could be your first day. Anybody could yeah. go. <laughs> I, I just think that, that that's kind of strange to me. Um, I don't know that it's crazy, but it's definitely strange. Yeah. Um, and but but it's there and they're they're selling this stuff. And I've heard stories right. um, that 
people will have seizures from it. So what will happen is, um, and they, they say it's because they're so depleted and then all of a sudden you're completely um, repleted. Right. I guess that's the word. And um, and now you go yeah. into shock or whatever. Well, and I guess my, I guess even more questions arise of, you know, the people administering it. So um, a situation in where I was present then an individual had an IV was due to hypertension. And that is almost necessary because, you know, you could, they were, they were severely hypernatremic. Um, an IV is going to be the best way to get their blood sodium levels back up to normal. Uh, but they're under medical supervision during this time mm -hmm. you know so again i go back to who's administering this what all is in it how do you know that this isn't going to cause somebody seizures mm -hmm. or or even worse you know and i'm you know it could be a severe seizure um because the influx is so high so yeah that's <clears throat> one i i didn't realize was going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah it's pretty common especially with um uh, mixed martial arts, but but even in um, some of the strength sports now, you're you, like there are these are available, and they actually sell. Um, usually, when they're set up and you buy it, there's actually a person there. Now I don't know how qualified they are, but there's a person there. Um, but you can also buy them and do them yourself, which I find uh, I find pretty yeah. odd. So <clears throat> yeah, you're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. Introducing Get Strong AF one-on-one -on -one online coaching with Hannah the Destroyer. This coaching program is for the focused and dedicated woman who wants to get stronger and compete. You'll never be left in the dark from bi-weekly training calls to support via text and email. She has your back every step of the way. There's made-for-you training sessions. Every exercise, every lift, every piece of equipment used has you and your goals in mind. And also, there's strong mindset training because we understand that strength and mindset go hand-in-hand. -hand. There will be weekly prompts, videos to up-level your mindset so when it comes to step on the competition floor, you are 100% ready. If you are interested in this, go ahead and email hannah at powerthroughmovement.net or look for more info at powerthroughmovement.net. Now, when, when you're depleting that stuff and you're depleting water, um, and we know that, you know, the sodium can come out, you know, it's going to come out through the urine, it's going to come out through the sweat and stuff. Uh, what else do you risk um, kind of losing in that situation that, that people probably aren't thinking about? Because, you know, the water and salt's obvious, but what else could be lost during that process? Potassium, too, and that's one that's also very dangerous because um, a rapid influx of that can cause a heart attack. Yeah. So, um, so again, when we go back to that sodium potassium pump, um, they work on all, all things muscular and your heart is a muscle. So again, uh, you're losing that too. Um, you're also losing calcium. Um, so you consider anything that's in sweat, um, any electrolyte you're going to be losing significantly when you cut to that magnitude. Um, so, um, severe dehydration, you know, can cause death as well. Uh, it's something as simple as, 2% causes thirst, which causes a decrease in, 2% decrease in hydration causes a 10% decrease in performance. So if you consider how much people are cutting, you know, 10% can cause death. Um, so it, it can, you know, it's, it's going to cause extreme decrease in performance and can cause a lot of severe health problems. But again, not just that sodium, but also potassium, calcium. Um, again, any of the electrolytes they're going to be losing too. And then also glycogen. You're going to lose some of that too. 
Yeah. Hydrogen just cutting in general. <clears throat> so, so glycogen is something I wanted to talk about too, because, um, so the, like the, the keto crowd, especially, um, they're always saying that, um, you don't need to take in glycogen because your body produces a certain amount and they give this number and I'm not even sure what the number is, but they say this, it's thousands, you know, the body has thousands of glycogen at all times and you don't need to bring it in and this and that, and it's always stored there. Um, however, if that were the case, um, like extreme endurance athletes, uh, you hear they, they do this thing called bonking. Right. Um, I've never experienced this because yep. I'm not I'm not doing that. But um, you know they'll they'll ride a bike around or <laughs> or run until you know they, they literally like they don't know where they're at. They're going kind of crazy, um, and that's because right. of a lack of uh, they don't have enough glycogen even there for their brain to function properly. Um, so I find that right. claim right. to be very difficult to believe if if we have this much in there, we don't need it, but these people are obviously suffering without it. Um, can you maybe explain that and, and kind of, kind of clear the air on that? Sure. So the bonking is how Gatorade has made its billions. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's definitely true. You know, Gatorade prevents bonking. Um, and the, the fact that we can make glycogen is not false, but it's at the peril of what? So gluconeogenesis is the production of glucose from a non-carbohydrate source. And that's typically from an amino acid. So once again, we're breaking down our muscle to be able to produce glucose. Right. And that can happen. That can happen anytime that your body doesn't have enough glycogen stores. So again, it's at what cost? Right. So um, those individuals may not be incorrect in their statement, but in a practical sense of being able to be sustainable in a performance, you know, that's just not, you know, it's not true. The body will prefer branched chain amino acids for gluconeogenesis more than anything because they're more gluconeogenic and alanine as well, too. And that's, if you take a look, that's why branched chain amino acids and alanine are such popular supplements within a strength world is because they are gluconeogenic. And because you can produce glucose on those um, and not be taking in, quote-unquote, carbohydrates. Um, but it, it also very, very much evidence-based that anytime that you're performing a function that goes beyond 25% of your um, VO2 max, you're going to be using fat and carbs. Anytime you go above 60% your VO2 max, you're going to be using solely carbohydrate to perform that activity, you know, so you're going to have to replenish that as well, too, along the way. So again, they're, they're not false in their statements, but they're kind of leading you astray and kind of where it's coming from. <clears throat> yeah. Because again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the peril of your muscles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, um, it's important to point out too, that, um, most of the time, um, the body works as a system. So if you're burning fat, you're probably also burning carbohydrate. And it's even in a situation where, um, you're, you're supposedly burning nothing but carbohydrate. That's probably still 1% fat being burned. There's, you know, there's, there's, it's, yeah. it's always a ratio. Um, it's just like when you're strength training, mm -hmm. if you're predominant, yep. Yeah, if you're trying to strength train and you're on a strength cycle, there's still a certain amount of hypertrophy going on. There's still a certain amount of this and that. Yep. Um, I think it's important to 
to maybe look at that too when these claims are being made that you don't need any carbohydrate and that you can stay in this fat burning state and this and that because chances are sure that's the emphasis but there's also this this small percentage of this that you would need in addition to that um which leads me to my right. next question um back in the back years ago they used to say fat burns in a carbohydrate flame and that was a very popular saying um, in sports and athletics, mm-hmm. do you still think that that's, that that holds true and that that theory, um, has kind of, uh, been pushed to the backside for, for, uh, for whatever reason? Yeah, I think that, and I think that's more because of, you know, you're saying years ago and it that was more years ago before probably even the Atkins diet, right. you know? And so, um, I think that, that carbs have gotten such an unbelievably, bad rap that you know you even say it in a four-letter word anymore you know so um but yeah i mean i it, it's not something i feel that i really dealt with too many athletes that that kind of fall under that that mentality at all anymore yeah i think um it used to be very popular i can't remember what you what what decade that was even but that was like the thing and um they would always say that uh, you needed a certain amount of carbohydrate to fuel the activity to burn the fat, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm sure somebody yep. along the way, somebody along the way probably took that way too far, right? But um, I think, yeah, it, just knowing that to some extent, I think is very useful. That hey, you need a little bit of this carbohydrate just to fuel this activity, so that you can, yeah, you know, I think that's important. Well, I think it's even more to go back to like to the very beginning of what was some of the things I was saying is that you have to eat to, to get, to gain weight. You have to eat to lose weight, you know? And so, um, usually, you know, a common misconception that, that I had with a lot of just, just, whether it be athletes or whether it be just a common, um, adult that I was counseling is that they would restrict way too much in general. And I would always say, you got to eat to be able to lose weight. You got to eat to be able to change your body composition, you know? And so if you're not giving, whether it be carbs or just, you know, food in general, you know, you're, you have to fuel to be able to do anything. Right. Um, um, so when I, when I first start working with someone, um, and, and this isn't always the case, but typically, especially if they have never played a sport, which, which, um, strength sports actually gets a lot of, uh, I have a lot of people that never played a sport and this is their first sport. Um, you know, and, and yeah. they, they'll either want to gain weight or lose weight. And one of the first things I tell them is, um, and like I said, this isn't always the case, but you need to fix your metabolism because they've been under eating for so long. They've been eating the wrong stuff for so long. Um, I think that's important to kind of get everything working properly, figure out all your, your vitamins, minerals, all that kind of stuff. And then from there you could start to work on other things, right? Like if you want to gain weight, but you have to do that first, I think. Um, and, uh, what do you think is the most important factor beyond that? So, you know, they got everything working correctly, um, for gaining and losing weight. Do you think that it's, uh, calories in calories out? Um, or, or do you think that there's something more important than that? Yeah, I think that that, I, I actually hate that phrase. Um, because, if you're trying to lose weight and you take in the exact calories that your body needs to lose weight, but it's all of, um, 
we'll go back to jelly beans, just jelly beans. <laughs> okay. You're probably not going to lose weight. So the, the concept of calories in versus calories out isn't foolproof. And, um, and so I think that getting you're, you're very nail on the head of people sometimes need to kind of correct their metabolism, but then they also need to keep it going. And right. so making sure that you give your body the nutrients to fuel that metabolism, I think it is really important. Um, and you can't, a lot of times you can't treat people exactly the same. And, and, you know, the way I prefer to eat is many meals throughout the day. I usually, you know, going back to that whole insulin concept of, I don't have a big meal. Um, my meals are pretty small, but they're a lot throughout the day. Um, I'm never overly full or overly hungry. And so some people can eat well on that, that plan. Some people can't do that at all. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I go back to, I, I don't love the calories in versus calories out at all. Um, I more or less look to see what have they been doing. Yes, let's get on. I get them on the best pattern for themselves that fits maybe their work schedule, that fits their class schedule, that fits their workout schedule. Um, and especially if they're body comp change individual, uh, making sure that they're fueling for those activities and recovering from those activities. That's one of the biggest concepts of, of body comp change is you're fueling for your activity and recovering from that to help that muscle growth and that fat loss. They're two completely different concepts, so you really shouldn't try to do both at the same time. Um, but that helps to be able to achieve those goals when you're trying to do something like that at the same time. Yeah, very cool. So um, do you think that calories in, calories out becomes more important um, once you kind of know what you sh- like the types of foods and stuff that you should be eating? Um, do you think that that's when it, yeah. the emphasis picks up um, so that you're not just eating, you know, 3,000 calories worth of ice cream or whatever. Um, but then yeah. once you know yeah. that, right? And, and I think that goes back to fixing your metabolism, yeah. right? Like you're not going to fix your metabolism on jelly beans. Yeah. Um, so once that's fixed, right. then the exactly. calories, the calorie um, exchange uh, becomes, uh, I don't know if the focal point would be the word, but, but definitely more important. Yeah, so when, you, when you're, the quality of your food is fixed, the, the, you're eating correctly, you know, throughout the day. Um, it can be a little bit more, I guess I'm, I'm still always apprehensive about encouraging people to count calories. Yeah. Um, if they have a goal in mind, I, I always, I always tell people, let me do that for you. And I'll just, you know, I'll give you a meal plan. Um, after I know you a little bit better and I know what, cause I, I think numbers can create a lot of problems for people. Mm-hmm. Um, they become too focused on them because um, the other thing to consider is food is so variable right. that six ounces of chicken one day, you know, might be different calories and six ounces of chicken the next. Or, or when you pull out a frozen piece of chicken, we'll say, um, because it is so variable. And so when um, a person is so diligent about counting and then they don't meet their goals, it, it, it can create some frustration. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that a person can achieve goals with the concept of calories in versus calories out because, yes, still the general rule of thumb is if you're taking in more than you're expending, then you're going to gain weight and like versa. Um, but I think that that's for the mature and seasoned athlete to tackle, not somebody at the very beginning. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't think anybody um, – that's uh... – 
you know, that comes back to the, like the lifestyle changes. People come and they, they want to work out and they want to fix their diet and they want to do this. And it's just too much to handle at one time. I think, um, yeah. just like lifting weights or whatever nutrition is, um, it's like an adventure. It's a journey, right? So you have to start somewhere and make these like micro adjustments. And, and sometimes you're going to mess up and you got to take a different path and this and that. And, you know, 10, 20 years okay. down the road, you'll yep. figure it out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's yeah. definitely, I think it's definitely something to to work on, and I don't think there's any um, phrase or easy fix that's just hey, this is like a miracle thing um, for sure. Um, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, do you work with um, non uh, WVU people? Is that something that you do? Do you take on side projects or anything like that? So since my role in has changed from the athletic department to Davis College, um, yes, um, I do have a private business that I do accept um, private clients for, yeah. So I, I actually don't work with WVU athletes anymore. Okay. So um, if somebody was interested in working with you, how would they contact you? Um, you can give them either my email address or I guess Facebook is also a really good way to get a hold of me. Okay, very cool. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people listening, um, like I said, uh, strength athletes are looking for this stuff more and more. So I think people listening would be interested in getting a hold of you. And um, does this have to be something that's done um, like in person? Do they need to be in Morgantown or could you deal with somebody in Alaska? Can you do it long range or? Just like this works, so, you know, uh, or Zoom, um, Facebook Messenger, anything like that is. Um, we live in a day, an age where technology is, you know, we're relying on it. So why not use it? So absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I will put, uh, well, I'll tag you in the post when this goes up, and then people can follow that link to get a hold of you, and uh, if they're interested in um, what you have to offer. Uh, I do want to thank you very much. Um, Perfect. Yep. Just one last thing. If you had any advice for somebody that wanted to make um, a change in their diet, nutrition, whatever, um, what would be the like the one solid piece of advice you would say right from the get-go? Start small, like you just said. I mean, you can't make a ton of changes. You know, small steps work better than giant. I think that it's important to focus on one thing at a time. Um you also mentioned you give something a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and sometimes those don't go together. And I think that that's a bigger, a very, very important key to remember too, is that um, following something, just a cookie cutter thing off of an internet, is probably not going to give you the best results. And so, find somebody that can work with you personally. Find one or two things that you want to work on initially, and make it a lifestyle. It's it's easier when it's it's you go into it knowing that it's going to be the rest of your life versus just a few, a little bit of time here and there, a short thing. Cause those are, those are going to fail. That's going to be something that people aren't going to, it's not going to be sustainable. So one to two things at a time, make it something that you can do for the rest of your life and make sure the information that you're following is correct. Very cool. Solid advice. Um, I want to thank you again for joining us today. Um, it's been great. Um, like I said, I'll get a link up so people can get a hold of you. Uh, this has been John the Viking Mauser. Get strong or die.
this episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram.